Our scripture lesson this morning is from Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last have only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us? Who have burned the burden of the day in the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last, the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelsey, for that beautiful reading. And at this time, I invite children who would like to head to Sunday school to go with Miss Stacy. And for middle schoolers heading to Bibles and Bagels to meet up with Toby in the narthex. Let us pray. O holy God, by your grace and mercy, continue to speak to us now your word of love and mercy. Silence in us any voice but your own. Grab hold of us, O Lord, in our hearts, deep within us, that we might hear the word of truth and love and invitation that you intend to speak to each one of us this day. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. John Yelsacker was a liturgical songwriter and performing artist. 
He counted Pete Seeger and Bob Dylan as some of his greatest influences. He was a devout Lutheran, and by some he was affectionately called the godfather of Lutheran folk music. One of his songs is entitled, The Things I Don't Like About Jesus. That title grabbed my imagination. The song includes this verse. Ah, but maybe I'm as guilty as all the rest when it comes right down to the final test. What do I think of this one called Christ? I know it's easy to be enticed into making of him what I'd like to find rather than he who left all behind to take the form of a man like me and lead to death hanging from a tree. And so what I wonder this morning is, what about you? Are there things, when you're being honest, that you don't like about Jesus and about his teaching? Are there times you'd rather to reshape him in your likeness and in the priorities and principles that to you seem to make the most sense? Are the things about his teaching that you just plain don't like? I mean, how do you feel about that teaching to forgive 77 times? Or what he said about it being easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to make it into the kingdom of heaven? Or that time he said, if you're married and you just look at another person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Are there days you're tempted to take a pair of scissors to your Bible and to cut out the passages you're not a fan of? Are there things that rub you the wrong way that don't come across as fair or just or right? And for some of us, might this morning's passage be an example of that? There was a landowner who hired people to go to work in his vineyard. Some arrived just as the day was dawning. Some came at nine, others at noon, others at three, some right before the workday was about to end. And at the end of the day, this landowner called everybody together and paying the last who got there first, he pays everyone the same wage, the exact same wage. What in the world is fair or just or right about that? And I won't ask for a show of hands, but I suspect that rubs many of us the wrong way. And what Jesus is getting at here is that Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. That's what God's love for us looks like. The way that landowner treats his workers is the way, thank God, that God deals with us. God's love for us is not dependent on how much we deserve to be loved. It's not about whether we've earned it. It's not about how hard we work in whatever vineyard we've been called to. Our God simply loves us fully and wholeheartedly and with, with no strings 
no prerequisites, no requirement for showing up in the vineyard at the break of dawn attached. Most of us are unaccustomed to such a perspective. The world view we tend to embrace, most of us at least, is we get what we deserve. But what if our relationship with God is not so much a matter of what we do or the way we figure it as it is a matter of what God does and the way God figures it? What if our relationship with God is not so much a matter of what we do or the way we figure it as it is a matter of what God does and the way God figures it? I mean, I think of the story of Jonah. The people of Nineveh sorely betrayed God and turned their back on God, and God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and to call the people of Nineveh to repent. If they don't, by God, they will be punished. But Jonah wants them to get the punishment they deserve. Have you ever felt that about some person or some group? Jonah says, God, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Jonah does not mean that as an affirmation. That's often the way we say those words. God, you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger. When Jonah says those words, it's an accusation. God, you're going to extend mercy to that awful group of people. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And he runs from God. I think of the story of the prodigal son from Luke's gospel. They are two brothers, and the younger of the two asked their father for his share of the inheritance early. The father generously gives it to him, and the son squanders it all on wild and foolish living. And he comes back hungry, dirty, tired, hoping for forgiveness and a fresh start. And the father runs to welcome him and embrace him and throws a feast to celebrate his return. And the older brother, the one who followed all the rules, who always did exactly what his father expected, is furious. Many of us would say we want to live in a world where if we do this, we will get that, a world that is fair and just and predictable. Yet God has created the world in such a way that there is room for God to be gracious. There's room for people who have nothing to be given everything. There's space available for those whose lives don't add up to much of anything to be given love and dignity and significance. And to be a Christian is to look at the world from that perspective, the perspective of God, the perspective of grace. I was sharing a meal with a family in our church. It was time for, for some dessert and some wonderful ice cream was being scooped into bowls. And the little girl of the family was monitoring the size of the servings. 
We've all done that, right? And she said, Mom, it's not fair. Referring to her brother's big bowl, she said, You gave him more ice cream than you gave me. It's not fair. And the mother replied, Don't look in your brother's bowl to see if he has too much or more than you. The only reason to look in your brother's bowl is to make sure that he has enough. I love that. And of course, it's the essence of the gospel, the essence of the Christian ethic. The call to look in your brother's bowl, in your sister's bowl, and to see if they have enough, and if they don't, and to share with them some of what's in yours. You might remember the story of Sister Helen Prejean. She's a Roman Catholic nun who, was, who has a beautiful ministry serving as a spiritual advisor to men on death row. She lives in Louisiana and visits their maximum security prisons. Those she ministers to have been convicted by a jury of their peers of unthinkable acts and in the eyes of many are now discarded. By her compassion and love, she shows them that God has not discarded them, that in God's eyes they still have dignity and value. She also ministers to the family members of their victims. Prejean wrote a book entitled Dead Man Walking. I encourage you to read it. In it, she writes of her experiences with a man named Robert, a man who was convicted of a violent murder and rape. Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn star in a powerful movie based on that book. And after years of appeals, the day of Robert's execution arrives. And Prejean, as she describes it, is alongside his cell to read scripture and just to pray and be with him in those final minutes. And as they walk together down the narrow corridor toward the room where it will all happen, she leans in to him. They're surrounded by guards. And she says, Robert, when it happens, look at my face. I don't want the last thing you see in this world to be hatred. I want it to be the face of someone who loves you. And as the execution is carried out, that's exactly what he does see. And so perhaps the story of Sister Helen Prejean and her love for that man who deserved no mercy gives us a glimpse of the great mercy that our almighty God extends to us. For God does not love us depending on what we have done or not done to deserve it. Our God loves us because from the dawn of creation, that was God's intent to be in relationship with precious and imperfect human beings created in God's glorious image. I don't love my daughter because of the grades that 
she gets at school or because she treats others with kindness or because much of the time she does what I ask her to do. I love her because she's my child. I love her because she's precious to me. And there's nothing that she could ever do that will stop me from loving her. And knowing how much I love her with no strings or conditions attached and having a sense of the way that those of you who are parents love your sons, your daughters, it gives me a glimpse, just a glimpse, of the way that our almighty God loves us. There is nothing reasonable about it. There's nothing fair about it. And I thank God that is the case every day. Greatness in the kingdom of God means being generous with others, unexpectedly, extravagantly generous in the same spirit that God is generous with us in the ways we love, in the ways we include and show honor, in the ways we extend grace. To love in that way and extend mercy and grace in that way is the life that Christ calls us to. It's what greatness in the kingdom of heaven looks like. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.